Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Now the Bible reading comes from Philemon, and it's the whole book today. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Aphia, our sister, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I do not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favour you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this in my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention what you owe me for your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confidence of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. Thank you, Annie. Welcome, everyone. My name's Luke, the young adults pastor here at Hills Baptist Church. No, sorry if you're new. That's not really fair. Um, I got a phone call last night. Luke is unwell. uh, So a great reminder for us, if you feel unwell... um, uh, please stay home, relax. We've got the live stream. Luke, if you're watching, thank you. <laughs> um, uh, he sent me his scripts last night. Um, we're in a series on, on one-hit wonders, looking at all the books of the Bible that are one chapter long. In a couple of weeks' time, we're looking at Habakkuk, but we're tackling it in one week. Um, so it's not really fits that criteria. Uh, but Luke preached this sermon a few weeks ago in the evening. And uh, a few of us was, were there. And I think um, 
well, actually, uh, Margie went and spoke to him afterwards and said, when are you coming to preach this in the morning? Because it was a great message and one I think we need to hear. So this is, uh, he sent me a script last night. Consider this a collaboration between Luke and I uh, um, on Philemon. Uh, Speaking of, let me bring it up. They say you can't choose your family. And this is true, right? You can't choose who you're born with. You can't choose your parents. You can't choose your siblings. Um, you've got no control over that. You can, and to an extent, you can't uh, choose what kind, kind of home or household culture that you grow up in. Now, sometimes that's a great thing. Uh, but a lot of the time, that can be really complicated. It comes with all kinds of hang-ups, all kinds of... Uh, complications, all kinds of baggage. For some, the family you grew up in is the cause for much comfort and celebration, while for others, a cause of great sorrow and pain. Can you choose what church family you're part of? Well, you might have a little bit more choice there, but it's still a complex answer to that complex question. Part of the complexity is that church is also a place that can bring much comfort and celebration, but also sorrow and pain. There can be a lot of complications and baggage and hurt that comes from being part of a church family. One of the things that we believe Jesus changes is the very nature of families, we believe that because uh, Jesus changes us from the inside out. When we believe in Him, He transforms us. He changes our very nature. And because our very nature is changed by the gospel, how we relate to our brothers and sisters, uh, how we relate in a Christian family changes. And the book of Philemon, which we've just read, invites us to look at the way we act and the way we treat our brothers and sisters, our church family, and challenges us to consider how does the gospel impact how how we relate to each other? How does the gospel impact how we relate to each other? How does the gospel impact our capacity to forgive? Big questions. It's a really short book which is great for when you're studying it and preaching it. And just to summarise the book quickly, Paul is writing to Philemon, a Christian leader in, the ha- in a house church in Colossae, um, the book that, that Colossians was written to. Uh, Philemon is someone who Paul celebrates for showing great love and, um, and hospitality. Verse 7, For I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because of the hearts of the saints that have been refreshed through you. He's a man who shows deep love for God's people, a deep hospitality. And Paul is asking Philemon, can you show that love and hospitality to Onesimus? Uh, Paul is writing on behalf of a man named Onesimus, or one Simus, I think one Onesimus is probably the right way to pronounce it, but who was a slave in the house of Philemon. Uh, he was a slave that from what we can tell, reading between the lines, uh, betrayed Philemon, 
probably stole something from him and ran away. <clears throat> he, and a runaway slave brought incredible shame on a household and it's, it's uh, punishable by death and even by crucifixion in the Roman culture. And so Onesimus finds Paul in prison and he becomes a Christian. He meets the creator of the world. He meets Jesus and becomes a Christian. He's, he's a child in the gospel. And so Paul faces the conundrum of what do I do with this runaway slave? He, he's repented. He's forgiven. He's a Christian now. But I've heard of, of how he's betrayed his family, Philemon, and that household. What do we do? He recognises that reconciliation is required. So Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon to seek reconciliation, to make amends for uh, the betrayal and the hurt that he has caused. And and he sends a letter to Philemon uh, to encourage Philemon of how he's going to receive Onesimus. Uh, Paul appeals to Philemon to consider Onesimus not as a slave, but a brother. And Paul is not telling Philemon, he's not commanding Philemon to liberate Onesimus from slavery, but rather view him in a different status. And Paul develops an argument to convince Philemon that Onesimus and Paul are family, therefore Philemon and Onesimus are family in Jesus and so the heart of this letter is about family. How do we treat each other as family? And so there's three points this morning uh, that we're going to work through. The first is the truth of Christian family. Second is the challenge of Christian family. The third is the hope for Christian family. The truth, the challenge, the hope of Christian family. As we get into it, let me, let me pray because um, that is a good thing to do. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is, speaks powerfully and it cuts to the heart. We're going to cover some big things today uh, around family, around hurt, around forgiveness. Lord, we just open up our hearts to hear from you. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, convict us, challenge us, transform us to be more like Jesus in how we love and forgive one another. Amen. So the first point, the truth of Christian family. You may have noticed that throughout the letter, Paul keeps using familial language. Um, uh, In verse 1, he refers to Timothy, his brother. In verse 2, Aphia, his sister. Verse 10, Onesimus as a son. Verse 16, Onesimus as a brother. In verse 20, Philemon himself as a brother. Brothers, sisters, sons, fathers. Paul believes wholeheartedly that to be a fellow Christian means to view one another as family. But it's it's more than that. It's not just viewing other Christians as family. It's not just calling someone your brother or sister, but actually treating them like a brother or sister. They are by their very nature, family. Now, where does Paul get this notion? Where does he get this idea? 
Well, it begins with Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, John says this about Jesus. Verse 12, Yet to all who did receive him, receive Jesus, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Now, we said before, you can't choose your family. But do you know what? God can. And he chooses you. Those who trust in the name of Jesus, who receive the forgiveness offered by Jesus, God chooses you to be his family. He adopts you into his family. To all who did receive him, he gave the right to become the children of God. If you believe rightly about Jesus and if you've received him as your Lord, then you've been given the right to become a child of God. God has adopted you into his family. And if we are all children of God, if we've all been adopted into the family of God, then we all become brothers and sisters. The book of Ephesians kind of describes this as as we're brought close to Jesus, If we're all brought close to Jesus, we're all brought close together in Jesus. And this is why Paul uses the familial language, but it's not just Paul, it's throughout Scripture, both in this letter and others, referring and and treating other Christians as brothers and sisters because the truth of Christian family is that all who believe in Jesus have been born again into the family of God. So we are family. That's the one hit wonder reference for you. I've got all my sisters with me. (laughs) We are family if we believe in Jesus. But that, that family nature of the Christian church, the Christian people brings with it challenges. And that's our second point, the challenge of Christian family. It's all well and good to say, yes, we're family, that's great. But it doesn't deal with the issues that family brings. If we look at the story of family across the Bible, and if we look, look at it throughout history, we know that family can be a place of, of great joy, but also deep hurt. And right, right from the beginning, one of the very first things to be corrupted is family. In Genesis 4, we read about the uh, first set of brothers from verse 2. Now Abel kept his flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. So Cain became very angry and his face was downcast. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you and you must rule over it. Now, did did Cain choose to do the right thing, to, to offer what was right to God? No. In verse 8, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. 
And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. This first family unit in the story of the Bible, destroyed by tragedy as one brother murders another brother. Jealousy, a wrong view of God, giving into temptation, all play a role in to what leads to this destruction of the family unit. And this is the beginning of a pattern of families hurting one another throughout Scripture, where the sinful nature of people exists, families are under strain, and those who... Sh- those places which should offer the most support, care, and love to one another cause untold damage. Families which should be a place of safety become a place of fear. And the pattern goes on, and if we read the Bible or the news or uh, stories of human existence, we see that families across the board are broken. And even in the church, even in Christian community, the family of faith, people get hurt. Power can be abused. Places of safety become sites of trauma. Vulnerable people are taken advantage of. Instead of being protected, they're persecuted. We seem to be unable to treat our own families well, and yet family is the exact body into which Jesus invites us into. He must have a better plan. And this letter, when we dig down into the heart of it, presents an an incredible challenge. Paul's letter to Philemon um, encourages Philemon to welcome Onesimus, someone who's um, betrayed Philemon, Back into his home. Verse 15 says, Paul says, Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Now, whether we agree with Roman culture of slavery or not, The reality of the situation is that Onesimus has caused a grave betrayal in wronging Philemon. And scholars suggest that uh, he stole from Philemon and uh, and left and betrayed the household that that he was in. And it was a crime punishable by crucifixion. Now, Paul sends uh, Onesimus back to Philemon and a letter and Philemon is faced... Uh, with two questions. The first is, do I forgive Onesimus as Paul is asking me to? And the second is, can I then regard Onesimus as a brother, not just a slave? Philemon is faced with the same questions that every one of us will face at some point in our lives. It's an immense challenge. Forgiving someone who has betrayed you. Forgiving someone who has shamed you. Forgiving someone who has hurt you. How could I forgive that person? How could I consider them a brother or a sister after what they've done to me? There is great hope 
in this. There's great challenge in being part of Christian family, but there is hope for Christian family. And that's our third point. Paul says to Philemon in verse 17, so if you consider me a partner, welcome you, sorry, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand to kind of add weight to that. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. Do as I, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Now, what is Paul doing here? What is he trying to achieve? It sounds, it kind of sounds like he's blackmailing Philemon into receiving um, Onesimus back, right? Like, you owe me your life, so you better do what I say. It, it, it can sound like that. But that's not what Paul's doing. That's not really what's, what's happening here. When Paul refers to Onesimus as a son, it means he's become family. We, can, we, we know that because Paul considers him son, he's in the Christian family. He's become a Christian. And because Onesimus has become a Christian, there's a few things we can assume about Onesimus. Assumptions that can be made of anyone who believes in Jesus, trust in Jesus. The first assumption is that Onesimus is aware of his need for forgiveness. Onesimus knows that he is a sinner in need of forgiveness. He has come to the cross of Jesus, realized that it's, it's, it was his sin that put him there, and he realizes that his soul needs to be put right. There's something deep in him that needs to be restored, forgiven. He knows that he is a sinner in need of forgiveness. The second assumption is that his awareness of his need for forgiveness has led him to repentance. Has led him to repentance. Repentance is the changing of mind, turning away from our own way of doing things, our own decisions, our own what we think is right, and turning our whole selves to Jesus to live how he commands us and he uh, lives. It's agreeing with Jesus. And so as he understands that he needs forgiveness, he recognizes his need to repent, to turn away from how he was living and what he thought was right and good for himself to what God knows is right and good for him. So that's the second assumption. The third assumption is that he has accepted Jesus as Lord. He recognizes He's a sinner in need of forgiveness. He's repented. And the third is he's recognized, he receives Jesus as Lord. He's entered the family of faith. And he, he's aware of the hurt he's caused and has a desire for reconciliation and unity with the body. With Jesus as king, he knows he needs to make amends and take responsibility for what he has done, the hurt he's caused. Not just against Philemon, but for all of his sins against God. Because all sin is, is truly and deeply against God. He has accepted the cross and the resurrection. He's walking in the grace of God, not presuming forgiveness from Philemon, but seeking to right the wrongs of the past. That's what we can assume of Onesimus. He's a sinner. He knows he's a sinner in need of forgiveness. He's repented. 
He accepts Jesus as Lord, and as with Jesus as Lord, he's seeking to make right what he's done. We're making these assumptions because that's what a Christian does. A Christian knows that they are a sinner. A Christian knows that they need forgiveness. A Christian repents. A Christian is forgiven, is restored, is transformed by the Spirit of God. And a Christian seeks reconciliation, seeks to make amends, to restore relationships. Paul is not trying to blackmail Philemon here. Paul, what Paul's doing is he's boldly placing himself in the place of Christ, mediating between the brothers and inviting Philemon to see Onesimus not as a slave, but as a brother. He says, if, if, if he's wronged you at all and if he owes you anything, charge it to my account. Let me pay the price. Paul is demonstrating the gospel through his actions. He will cover the debt that Onesimus incurred. He will pay the price. And Paul is offering to do what Jesus does for us. He's offering to pay the price. He's offering to be the one that bears the cost of restoration. This is not a story about an unrepentant person demanding to be in close proximity with someone they have hurt. It's not a story of someone coming in and and being an abuser or taking advantage or continuing to hurt someone. It's a story of of someone in true repentance going back uh, to receive true forgiveness. Now, how can Philemon forgive Onesimus for the great betrayal that was done against him? How can we forgive those who've betrayed us? The answer is in the beginning and the end of the book. Short lines, easy to miss, but profoundly important. In verse 3, Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the last verse, verse 25, Paul says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. How can we forgive? In the grace of God. I was reading a book uh, this week, The Rumours of God, by um, Darren Whitehead and John Tyson. And in it, they, dis- they discuss the difference between mercy and grace. And I think mercy is something that we understand, we get, we love. But grace is something we, we, we forget how massive it is for us. And what mercy is, is uh, you're driving down the freeway, going a little bit fast, and you notice the sirens in the background and those lights flashing in the rear view mirror. You go, oh no. So you pull over and the police officer gets out of the car. They knock on the window. You roll the window down and you say, oh, please officer. I know I was speeding, but I'm a lowly pastor. I don't get paid very much. My my family's hungry and oh, please show mercy. The officer writing the, the ticket goes, all right, don't worry about it. Just this once. Rips up the ticket. That's mercy, not receiving the punishment we do deserve. That's mercy. Grace is this. You've had a few to drink at the pub and you go in your car, you know you're doing the wrong thing, driving off, you're blasted. 
your speed. You see the sirens, you hear the sirens, you see the lights in your rear view mirror. Out of panic, you try and speed off, but you just drive into a ditch. You damage the car. Thankfully, you're fine. The police officer gets out of the car. They tap on the window. The window rolls down. They give you a breathalyzer test. You're way over the limit. Your car's total. There's a massive fine you'll have to pay. Because of what you've done, there's going to be jail time. You'll lose everything. But the police officer says, I'll pay the fine. I will go to jail on your behalf. Here's, here's the keys to my car so you can have a car. You don't have to lose everything. You can have all of my possessions and riches. You can have it all. That is grace. Receiving what we don't deserve, well beyond our wildest dreams. And brothers and sisters, we have all been radically forgiven, more than we can possibly realise or imagine. We've been shown grace well beyond our wildest dreams. In 2 Corinthians, it says, He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become His righteousness. Jesus lived a perfect life and He gave that life for us. He took upon our sin, our brokenness, all the, the, the muck and corruption and the, the fact that we can never get anything right and all the hurt that we have caused other people. He paid the penalty. He paid the debt we owed. And not only that, He's given us His own life that we might be born into His family with the righteousness of Jesus, that we don't earn our own way into God's family. We don't, it's not our righteousness that gets us there, the things we do, the things we get right, the, the things we, you know, tick the right boxes. No, it's Jesus' righteousness. And so when God looks on you, He sees His Son. He sees the righteousness of Jesus, the perfection of Jesus, the glory of Jesus. And that is how we're adopted into God's family, is through Jesus. God looks at us. He loves us profoundly because we are in Christ. We are saved through the work that Jesus has done for us. We are radically forgiven so that we can radically forgive Now, forgiving is not letting people off the hook. It's not remaining in an abusive or harmful relationship. It's not releasing people from consequences. But forgiveness is saying, I will pay this relational debt. That you are no longer dead to me. There might be consequences and barriers and boundaries. Yep, absolutely. But you are no longer dead to me. Forgiveness is taking a step towards someone, towards restoring a relationship, not away. And I can forgive because I have been forgiven. I can show grace because I have been shown grace far beyond I could ever imagine. Now, Hills Baptist 
church in Allgate, we are a family. We're family. We're brothers and sisters. We love each other. But do you know what? We are not perfect. We are not perfect. There's people here who have been deeply hurt, people who are no longer here, who have been deeply hurt by, by others. There are people here who have been hurt by, by my actions or my, my lack of action. I've been hurt. Now, if you're new here, you're visiting, so great you're with us. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend that we have it all together, that everything's shiny and perfect here. Because that's just not true. But what is true is that we worship a God who loves us, who's forgiven us, and has made us his children. And we are trying hard to love and to forgive like God loves and forgives us. So on that note, um, next week we're going to announce uh, some training that we're putting on in September. Uh, uh, piecewise training. We're getting a group in uh, who to do some training on the 16th and 23rd of September, Saturdays, all days. We've made it as cost effective as we can, as, as accessible as possible. We're making it mandatory for all elders and staff and leaders in our church um, because we want to create a culture where we are peacemakers, not peace fakers running away from conflict, not peace breakers, but peacemakers, that we would be a culture and community that we'd step towards each other, that we'd be quick to forgive one another, that we'd know and have skills in um, dealing with the day-to-day conflict that comes up all the time. And we'd be able to respond to those kind of things like Jesus responds to those things, like Jesus responds to us. So, 16th and 23rd of September. You'll hear more about it soon, but take note of that. To finish, the hope of Christian family is this. Jesus is the foundation. We are family because we're adopted into God's family through Jesus. We belong to Jesus. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all equals in God's family. All of us are equally sinners and all of us are equally forgiven and adopted. There is no rank or special, special super Christians in the family of God. We are all brothers and sisters. In our repentance, we are forgiven. We're forgiven by God, forgiven radically and beyond our wildest imaginations. And because we are forgiven, we can forgive. And in a cycle of repentance and forgiven in a family unit, as we forgive and as we walk towards one another rather than away from one another, relationship is deepened. Relationship becomes deeper and stronger and restored. So as we continuously turn to Jesus in repentance, we're forgiven and we can begin to walk the journey of forgiving others. Like Philemon is called to forgive Onesimus and welcome him into his family, back into his family as a brother, we're called to forgive those around us and welcome, embrace one another 
as brothers and sisters, as God's family. Let's pray as we finish up. Heavenly Father, we we recognise, Lord, that there's a lot of tough stuff um, to work through here. We recognise this is live issues in, in many parts of the church and I know in in many parts in the lives of people in the room. And we just pray for your grace and love and your Holy Spirit uh, to comfort us. Lord, keep reminding us of your love and that amazing, radical, unimaginable forgiveness and grace that you've shown us. Lord, may we know just how much we are your children. And Lord, from that, out of that place of being your children, out of that place of being forgiven, Lord, equip us to forgive others. And there might not be anything going on right now, but Lord, put us in a place when when things happen that we can be quick to forgive, we can be quick to overlook, we can be quick to restore relationships. When we wrong others, Lord, help us to be quick to seek restoration, to seek reconciliation, quick to confess and to repent from that. Lord, help us to take ownership of what we've done wrong. Help us to be quick to forgive. In all of this, Lord, this is incredibly tough, countercultural stuff. We pray for your Holy Spirit to fill us and to, to empower us to forgive like you've forgiven us. And Lord, we pray for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.